Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome to Whiskey and Whitetails, the show for those that hunt with a passion and drink with a purpose. As always, I'm Gus. Matt is not with me this week. I'll get to that in a minute. But thanks to our Patreon for their loyal support. Thanks to the Waypoint Network for hosting us. And thank you for listening, subscribing, sharing, commenting, and all the other ways you guys show us support. As I mentioned, I'm recording this intro solo this week. Matt and I are going to be taking a week or two off from recording new podcasts and focus solely on preparing for the upcoming whitetail season as well as focusing on some very exciting business opportunities for whiskey and whitetails. We'll be back in a few weeks with fresh new episodes, but in the meantime, we have some throwback episodes and segments for you to enjoy. This week, we've got a compilation of segments discussing how to select a quality deer processor, how to not kill a deer, get fined by DNR, and an airlift to a hospital all at the same time, and an interesting discussion on shot placement ethics. We hope you enjoy. Cheers. So along the lines of picking your favorite um, store to buy your alcohol, sure. for us hunters, most of us have our favorite meat processor. Correct. It, it, you can do it yourself. Most people do it. I don't know. The stats I saw were like 80% of people don't do it themselves. And yeah, it's, it's And there's big. no uh, like, no shame. I mean, no. I, I will do it myself and sometimes I won't. But the main reason is because if I do it myself, I got to go buy... The vacuum sealer, and then it breaks six months later. You got to buy, you know, it's just a pain. So unless you spend, you know, do like yeah. the Livingstons and buy a really nice setup, right? So it's it is a it's a convenience and a cost thing, right? right? You, um, if you invest in the equipment, it, it is a heavy investment. But if you make the decision to dedicate yourself to doing your own processing, uh, then the equipment will pay for itself because right. there are costs associated with using a processor. Sure, um, but it is. It is quite a bit of work. Like it's it's convenient to be able to hunt, kill a deer, drive 20, 30 minutes to a processor, drop it off, and go back in less than a week and pick up your your meat order. You're packaged you up, beautiful in a box, ready yeah. to go in the freezer. If you're gonna do it yourself, there's a process. Yep. First you gotta start by field dressing it, which you should probably be doing anyways. Um well, but then from there, there's to keep you gotta keep that in mind because some processors won't take it if you did it. It's true. That's because very true. There's a thing about hair, and and this is coming from someone that worked there. If somebody yeah. brings in a deer and the, there's patches of fur still left on, it's covered in hair and dirt. We don't want that in. I don't want no, that in there. Because I don't want your contaminants right. on. What well, people uh, don't understand fair. is that that deer, once you bring it to the processor and it gets cleaned, it gets tagged as yours. Uh, it then goes into a cooler to age, 
for yes, a, with, a, a minimum amount of time, whatever that is. Yeah, usually four to five days. Right. And so while that's aging, you, you know, if, you're, if your deer is all nasty and gunked up, they don't want to put that in a freezer with everybody else's. And you, as a customer, don't want someone's nasty deer hanging up right. next to yours. It's also a process. Like we, when I worked there, it was, this is the way they are hung. They're hung by that tendon on the back leg. Mm-hmm. So if, if somebody cuts that on accident, now we got to run it through like a spike. And then that just adds problems down the line when it's time to process it and cut it yeah. and, and grind it up. It's like, what part is this? Where is it? You know, it's, <laughs> it's a pain where you can start from the bottom of the deer and work your way up, pull the back straps out, pack them up nicely. Yeah. Um, it just messes everything up. So it's, I'd bring it in whole or, or don't bring it in. Yeah. And so like that whole process you just described, the cleaning it, skinning it, aging it, which you should do with your meat, aging it, and then the actual processing, like breaking it down, the different cuts you want, grinding it for right. burger, um, packaging, that, that all falls on you. Yes. And it can, it, it, when you kill a deer, you're, you're, and you're going to process it from start to finish yourself. You are committing to a multiple day process. And it's not, it's one of those things where I've, and I found myself this way. You kill, you kill the deer and you're super excited to take care of it yourself. You clean it, you get it home. In three or four days, it's time to, to process it. You know, the excitement and the motivation sometimes to, to go through yep. that process starts to wane a little bit, but you know, you got to do it and get it done. So you get it done anyways. Um, but as we said earlier, having the right equipment, uh, which is not cheap to get it done effectively and efficiently. So you minimize waste and, and meat loss. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of an investment. That being said, I know that when I go to drop off a deer, I, I generally do the same order uh, with, same. with, 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 with our processor yep. that we use. Uh, and I do, uh, I take the, obviously the, the back straps or the, um, and the tenderloin, uh, and then what they call it, the loin roast and the tenderloin, which is underneath the, the rib cage or underneath the spine and in, in the rib cage. Uh, and then I will generally, for, at least for the first couple of deer of the season, do all hamburger. Yeah. Because I have three kids that will eat me out of house and home. Yeah, you so, get a small army of them. <laughs> so I'm feeding a small sports team at the house. Um, and with one that's a teenager, it's like feeding two people. I swear he's got a hollow leg uh, that food makes its way into. Um, and so I will do that for the first couple orders until I get a solid freezer full of hamburger. And then maybe I'll venture into some whole hams. Um whole shoulder, things yeah. like that. I cooked a whole shoulder this year. It was really, uh, this last year, it was really, really good. Actually, one that you gave me was yeah. was really good in a slow cooker. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something you have to decide if you're willing, if you're going to commit to it, you have to commit to it. And well, how are the things that you... I want to touch on the hanging part. Okay. Just so, because people are like, it's not a big deal. You you bring it home, cut it up, throw it in the freezer. So when you talk to people and they're like, I don't like venison because it tastes gamey. Yeah. The reason why is because they did that. They killed it. They brought it home and they, they cut it up and they threw it in the freezer. That is incorrect. I mean, you could do it if you want. It just doesn't taste that good. You have to hang it. Rigor mortis starts to set in and it's there for a good 12, 16 hours. So it takes 16 hours for that muscle tissue to loosen up again. Sure. So if you're, if you're killing it and then cutting it up, throw it in the freezer, you got tough ass meat sitting there that's, that's full of blood and everything else. Yeah. Um, when it hangs in that freezer for four to five days, what it's doing is allowing the meat to go through the process of starting to break down. So it's starting to get softer. All the blood drains out of it because there's blood in the muscles. It's not just the stuff in the veins. Right. But these deer will sit in there and drip. You know, that floor has got to be cleaned pretty constantly. Sure. Um, 
and sometimes they'll spray stuff on it to kind of help with the aging process, but not not the one I worked at. They didn't do that. So that's that's the reason that if you just throw it in a cooler, like we know people throw it in a cooler, it's fine, but you got to keep your eye on it. Yeah, you know you have to rotate the ice because there you'll get little cavities and the meat will get warm, which you so had. I, I was going to actually say I had that. I tried yeah. that for the first time this past year. Um, it's called uh, wet aging. Wet aging. Where you keep you keep the meat or chunks of meat on on ice. You drain it, keep it draining. You know, add ice, that kind of thing. Um, I had never done that before. I thought I had it set up properly. And, and my mistake was that I opened up the, uh, the drain plug. Uh, I was on a Yeti type cooler. They have those wider, yeah. those wider mouths. I opened it up all the way. And what ended up happening was that it was letting warm air through that hole. Uh, and it was, instead of slowly melting the ice, um, it was rapidly melting the ice and allowing the meat to get at, uh, to unsafe temperatures at the bottom. But from the top looking in, it looked like the ice was melting at a nice right. even. And so I, I wasn't aware of what was going on until about the second day. And then I realized there was a funky smell coming from it. And, uh, as I said, I have little kids. Um, most of that meat ended up going to waste cause I didn't feel safe. Uh, and, and so someone who cares about when I kill an animal, making sure that I utilize it. Um, I took that very, I took that to heart, you know, and I, I did more research, realized what I did, and I will not make that mistake again. Um, I wish at this, I, I wished at that point that we had not gotten rid of that big refrigerator that we used to have, Dexter, mm -hmm. because I could, I could quarter or half a deer and set up one side of that big sliding refrigerator yeah. to hang a deer up in there and drop the temperature, and it would have been perfect for that. Um, but you know, and the other thing people do hindsight. too is they leave that 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 drain stop closed, and mm -hmm. what that does is it. It allows water, and you're basically if you've ever brined meat, 24 hours, the meat's like pale and mm -hmm. weird looking, and it's okay if that was your intention. But just sitting meat in regular water, it's kind of like a deer dying and laying in a river. Yeah, and it lays there for three days, then you come and eat it. So it's basically the same thing. And so the the moral of I guess the story, what we're trying to explain is that the, the how your meat tastes and the quality of the way your wild game tastes um, is directly related to how you handle that meat and that animal once you, you make the kill right and how you handle it uh, and the importance of it starts immediately yes you know the the sooner if, if you're going to do it yourself the sooner you get those main organs out right lungs heart intestines liver all that stuff out of the body so that that internal body temperature cools. the core temperature can start to cool yeah. Um, that's imperative. You have to, you have to get that, especially down here where we hunt, you know, yeah. half of our deer season, you know, it's at shooting light. It's still in the seventies, if not warmer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so once that deer drops, it's, it's super important to not only get it field dressed, but do so cleanly because with such warm temperatures, there's still bugs out. Um, it's just not the best, so to speak. Uh, and the other thing people don't think about too is the front quarters where the armpits are. Yeah. People hang the deer. If you live somewhere that's cold enough and you hang the deer and you don't fillet, because so what, so what you do basically is you take the front arm and you twist it out. So the shoulder blade pokes and you cut around the shoulder blade and you kind of fillet it back because that armpit area will keep moisture in it and it'll, yeah. it'll start to rot. Yep. So that's another thing that, you know, little processor tips that, that most people don't know. They just hang the deer or they lay it somewhere and, and those dark crevices will, will, will get disgusting. Yeah. So, but in the mind of store picks, if, if we had two places doing a store pick and you really like 
this one place, yep. for instance, this one meat processor, yeah. if they were sold out, you might go to the other place. Sure. But if they're both open and they both have it, you're going to go to your main spot. And Absolutely. that's kind of the way the processor is, is. I couldn't imagine going somewhere else, but I have a relationship there. I used to work there. Right. It's, it's funny. I've been there. I've been there dozens of times. I couldn't possibly count. Um, and I'm sure that I'm sure they see hundreds of people a week. Oh yeah. Um, but only from the few, the few times I've made an effort to talk with him personally uh, even leave a message through Facebook. Um, I've run into him at uh, QDMA banquets. Right. And I may only see him a few times a year because you and I will hunt out of state. Sometimes we'll process our own deer. Other times the area we like to hunt up in that direction, it's 20 minutes. Um, it's a pretty easy, with all the other things we have going on <laughs> on a weekly basis, it's an yeah. easy decision for me to kill a deer and bring it there. Right. Not because it's convenient, only because it's convenient, but they do a fantastic job. But when I roll up there, and he greets me by name and knows what we're up to because you know him, I know him. That 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 makes it a, a non-factor in terms of deciding where to go. That and his beef fat is what's going in those burgers, which right. some places they just get the cheapest fat they can get. And right. You have no idea where it is, where it came from, what that animal is. But they ate. raise their own cattle. They raise their own cattle. And so you're getting good quality meat, which is one of the points I, I wrote down was... Um, yep, I have... So are these kind of like what to look for in a processor? Because I have a list of things like to consider. Yeah, uh, but one of the, the for the fat content, you should yeah. keep it low. Okay. And, and I was always about keeping it high because I like the fat content. But the, what this, what I was reading mm-hmm. is that venison is a lean meat and it has right. a distinct flavor. You yes. throw 50% fat in there and now tastes like cow it's fat. It's completely different, yeah. Yeah, so if you're wanting to eat venison for venison, you should keep your, your fat count yep. low. But with that in mind... It, if there's no fat, it's hard for it to stick together. It's so true. it's kind of hard to make it, it, birds it, it, out of it. It is. There's, I think even on their menu, they recommend like 10 to 15%. Yeah. Um, I find that the 15% <clears throat> works really well for me uh, for the flavor. And then to help hold it together, whenever I'm making burgers, I will mix um, an egg yep. in there. Or cheese. Egg um, and cheese. I've never done cheese, uh, but I will use like Italian breadcrumbs and mm-hmm. it adds a really nice flavor as I've well. I've heard of people doing saltines. Yeah, I've heard of that too. Crackers, yeah. you can do yeah. crunch up crackers. Ritz crackers, in a pinch. not saltines. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're um, if you're camping or going somewhere and you're planning to uh, to bring some of that with you, you know, saltines or crackers can be used for other snacks. So it's an easy thing to bring along, right. dual yeah. purpose. But um, yeah, so in terms of like, we've sort of talked about the things you might want to look for if you're going to locate uh, single barrels or, or, or store picks, right, and how to kind of identify those, but. If you have multiple processors to choose from, like how do you go about doing that? So as someone who's worked at a processor, like if you were starting from scratch, like let's say you moved to a different state and you were and you had a couple processors to choose from in your area, what are some things that you would look for in selecting that who you were going to start going to? So I want to combine that with the process because the process is important to understand why I okay. would pick a certain place. Let's do it. So. My short answer is price, but it's not the price you think. Okay. And I'll explain. So this is how a meat processor works, specifically. Well, I mean. I'm glad you I'm glad you got this data because I had it pulled up and I realized when I got here that I didn't transfer it over to these notes I have. So wh- this is how they work. They have intake, skinning, hanging, processing, packaging, selling. That's, that's the process. Right. So how do they make money is they make money on... 
they don't pay for the meat. You are supplying the meat sure. and you're basically paying for the service. Now, depending on what service you're getting, it can cost more. So if you're getting added fat, they're going to charge you for the fat. If all you're getting is everything quartered out and, and thrown in bags, it'll be cheaper. Um, but if you're paying for sausages and stuff like this, I mean, they have machines, they have dry aging, they have these big smokers that they, I mean, they, it's amazing how much they smoke. Um, so I wanted to talk about yield. So if it's 150 pounds, okay, you, you can expect about a 45% yield on the weight. And people were like, that's less than half. Yes, but there's a bunch of bones. Yeah. There's a bunch of fur. There's organs. There's stomach guts. You know, Blood, there's all kinds of stuff Body in there. fluids. Yeah. yeah. So when you finally bone it out, skin it, bone it, and all that, it's about a 45% yield. Yeah. So 150-pound deer, you're going to see about 67, 68 pounds of meat, which is a lot. Um, but that can also vary because of what's called a butcher's cut. So the butcher's cut is what the butcher cuts that keeps. Yeah. So things like the back strap, anything you specifically want. I want the ribs. I want the back strap. I want the tenderloins. I want the shoulder, the quarters, whatever you're going to get that. But if you say, I want hamburger meat. So say we're going to take 20 pounds and turn it into hamburger meat. You'll get about 16 pounds back. Um, you, or I'm sorry, you'll get 20 pounds back, but they added in fat. So it's about 16 pounds. Right. So that's how they factored in. So you're not like, you know, what the hell? Uh, you know, I gave you 20 <laughs> pounds of meat. You you gave me 20 pounds of hamburger back with fat in it. Yeah. Like, most people don't think about it, but that's what it is. You're, you're missing five pounds or so. Um, so they kind of swap it out and they charge for it. Um, so the butcher's cut, that's how they make their jerky. That's how they make all these things they sell in the store. Right. So when you go in there and they have venison jerky and they have, you know, other things for sale that aren't your meat. Right. Um, that's where that comes from. And I wanted to talk about whose meat do you get? So again, if you, if you say, I want the shoulders, I want the back strap, that is yours. If you get hamburger, that's not your deer. Okay. Ever. Like hardly ever. On a small enough processor, Maybe. But um, something like us that, that takes... They're, they're, I mean, write, they're writing down based on your weight and what you asked for, how, yes. how many pounds you should receive. Right. And they're dumping yeah, probably close to hundreds of pounds through a grinder a day. Because if you get five pounds of hamburger meat, they're not going to take five pounds no. of your deer, and grind of, it up by itself and throw it in. No. That's not a lot of them have minimums. Like you yeah. have to have a minimum amount. Of, and usually that's packaging. So yeah. if we have a 10 pound roll, you get 10 pounds. That's yeah. the minimum. And we're not turning the machine on for less than 30 or whatever it may be. Right. But what they're doing is they're taking all the scraps. If you get in 10 pounds of jerk of uh, ground beef, they're going to take um, 10 pounds of meat and throw it in the processor. And, you know, and it sits in this bucket for a couple of days before they end up mixing it all together and making the ground venison or the burgers or whatever um but one thing about processing is you pay for it up front so you go in you pay for it and then um you pick it up later or you wait until the product's done you come in and pay for it and most people do it that way where they drop it off they do their little recipe thing then they come back when it's ready and they pick it up some people don't come pick it up so if you are just wanting some venison you could probably go to your processor and they'll have a board like ours mm-hmm. has a board and it says, if you know these people, they have meat here. They haven't come to pick up. If you walk in there and say, uh, yeah, let's see, uh, Mike. Yeah. Mike Jones, the guy right there on the first, I'm here to pick up his meat for him. They'll sell it to you guaranteed every time. So the guy that charges the most, that's probably who I'm going to pick. Okay. Because of the processes in place and they know that they're good and typically they're super busy. So they raise the prices. 
So people that are really cheap, they're probably not very good. Of the ones we have in our area, the one we go to is pricier. Very expensive. 20% above everybody else. But it's well worth well it. Well worth it. And on, on average, a higher price for the processing equals better processes and confidence in that. So obviously there's going to be an exception to every rule where this place is just expensive. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So to go back and kind of wrap up the whole processor thing, um, if if price is maybe not maybe not the maybe the price let's just imagine the price is all the same yeah you have three to choose from and all three have the exact same um prices some thing, some things i'm going to look at are the packaging right that um, was the first thing that came to my mind i've seen i've seen processors uh that they have these little those little stuff sacks that they shove meat into and then it's yeah and they're tied at the top they're tied at the yeah. top and i i mean i get it if you're a business and that's just that's just what you have to operate with but cordrays everything is vacuum sealed and labeled it tells you your name so if you have multiple hunters in your household you can you can hey let's cook the you know let's cook the especially with having kids right yeah. like it means a lot it's going to mean a lot when my kids get their first deer and we pull up to the dinner and and we we prepare a meal and i can say hey this is this is the deer that gavin or nolan or leah shot yep. 6 months ago 4 months ago gavin supplied us dinner today yeah you know yeah. That, that 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 means something and i think it brings the whole thing full circle so packaging is huge like mm-hmm. being able to see all that um it's just packaged well at that processor um i like the way they do their little their burger rolls yeah it's just like going to a store it's crimped on both ends it's crimped on both ends they're about so, a pound of this piece. story um Man, so many lessons learned, to be learned. So many things to do better next time. Um, Raise your hand if, um, yeah, raise your hand if you have ever made a bad shot on a deer and had to track them on, right? We've all done that once. If you hunt long enough, okay. Yeah, I've done that. Um, So anyway, so this guy did just that. Uh, Sucked, but, you know, it happens. (laughs) 71-year-old guy, his name is Richard Harris. Uh, he starts tracking a deer on um, around 4.30 p.m. It's Wisconsin. It's January 5th. It's cold, right? It's bad weather. So he is tracking this deer. He keeps bumping it, right? Tracking it, bumping it. Finally, the thing gets tired enough, it lays down. And he gets fairly close to it. And he's standing there trying to decide if he's going to go all the way back to his four-wheeler and get his crossbow he didn't bring something with him to dispatch it yeah so he was staying there deciding if he thought it would stay there long enough yada yada yada. in in the process of doing that it's in he's in fairly thick grass it gets up and starts running it ran straight at him and impaled him in the leg so he got gored by this this deer's antlers eventually the, the the deer died but he was hurt and ended up laying in a ditch unable to walk or move, hypothermic and almost freezing to death. It was after midnight when the sheriff's department and fire department were uh, dispatched to his location. And (laughs) only because his wife had to call, his phone died, so he had no way to communicate. He left his cold weather stuff with with the crossbow, with the foiler. Lots of mistakes are being made here. All the mistakes. Um, But it gets better. Because after he gets, because of the, the severe level of hypothermia he was at, um, and his leg injury, they flew in a helicopter to life flight him to a hospital. The local game warden decides to continue a little investigation 
and figures out where his blind was at and rec- realizes that there is a huge corn pile and it's illegal to bait there. Yeah. So not only did this dude end up with uh, a huge hole in his leg. Instant karma. He, um, he lost the animal. The, the game warden took the, took the deer and uh, fined him like 300 and something dollars. Um, I think he lost the crossbow too or whatever, but it was just, it was funny. Um, less, yeah, $343. It could have been over 2000 but uh, they were, I guess, nice enough to let him off. So some lessons learned there, carry an extra ba- or charger battery or carry a charger for your, you know, a solar charger for your phone. Tell people where you're going and what you're wearing so they know where you're going to be if it doesn't work out. Yeah. Carry your method of take with you if you have to trail a deer in case you got to take a second shot. It's really stupid that he wouldn't do that anyway. I know. Make, make sure you wear proper gear. It, it it got down to negative six with wind chill. I've been out there before with one bullet and had to yeah. uh, choke and, choke a bitch out. And but, don't break laws. Yeah, don't break laws. Don't be an asshole. Yeah, definitely don't use corn if you're not allowed to use corn. Well, we will give you a tip. We were talking to a guy about duck hunting, not being able to use yeah. corn. And uh, they put a yellow rain jacket out. So smart. And so the the ducks are flying over, and they see this yellow rain jacket, and they're like, "Target acquired." <laughs> That's, That's really totally smart. legal. Yeah, That's really smart. I don't think that would work for deer because they they don't really see it; they smell it. But yeah, yeah. So the next the next topic yeah, that I we're gonna where I wrote down to talk about, and this was more just meant to be more of sort of a free conversation between the two of us. And I wrote down some stuff that you can you can reference and look at because it came from a, a couple of other articles, but this stemmed from actually a reddit thread that i saw and i think i told you about it and essentially what it was uh this guy it was maybe 100 yards and he took a headshot at a doe dropped it right where it stood no tracking you know no crazy uh gut shot to deal with didn't have to track anything it dropped right where it stood and he received a lot of shit for it in Mm -hmm. the comments Mm -hmm. as you would expect uh if there's anything you've figured out if you haven't figured it out, it probably won't be long. Uh, there is no shortage of things for people in the hunting community to argue, bitch, and ridicule one each other. Yeah. each other over disagree it. instead of standing together like uh, we should be and right. supporting each other. But yeah, yeah. And so it brought up the question of like what's ethical when it comes to shot placement or shot opportunity. And it was like, well, what's the difference between opportunity? shot opportunity versus shot placement and you know, do, do, do ethics do the ethics of those shots are they the same for both and how do they differ or where and it brought up a lot of interesting a lot of interesting um, you know points and so just just to get some basics out of the way right I think it's genu- generally well understood that uh, vital organs are key for killing a whitetail killing anything yeah. really right and for whitetail deer it's generally taught that that's from from broadside it's behind the shoulder up a ways you're looking at the your heart and your lungs right yeah. that's the quickest way where that little crease is it's the quickest that's, that's the it's the best area to, to aim at that still provides somewhat of a margin of error if you are off a little bit in either direction and still have a successful kill that's generally a yeah agreed upon thing right um Obviously, the neck and the head contain very critical components of the whitetail's biology or any animal's biology, but those areas are harder to aim at, especially at further distances, and they provide a smaller margin of error. Not to mention, a deer's brain is extremely small, so even if you hit the head... You're going to miss the brain. If you miss, If you miss the brain... <laughs> well, depending, that's not... Well, see, so here's the thing. Here's where it gets into, because... 
Well, also, are we discussing arrows or so that's, or, that, or firearms? That's that's exactly the the quandary that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Is that what's ethical and acceptable for you as maybe a rifle hunter that hunts? Because rifle, I have a hundred percent shot a deer in the head with a rifle. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I've done it more than once. And this is this is where a lot of these conversations boil down to. And and what it's what's I think what's funny is that people just don't want to. Admit people have a code or a thought process. This is the way it is, and it has to be done. It has to be that way by everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's let's go through. Well, what, let me tell you what I wrote down. Okay, go ahead. Just uh, quickly. So the if you shoot a because everybody's like got to shoot them in the lungs and the heart. Okay, so you miss the heart, hit the lungs. Most people shoot in the lungs. That that's that's actually not true. Most people shoot them in the guts. I worked <laughs> a at Cordray's, and <laughs> usually they were gut shot, but. Say you shoot them in the lungs. What happens then? The deer takes off, and then an hour later, maybe it's you know it uh yeah succumbs to its wounds. Particularly if it's quartering in one way or the other, and you only get yeah, one lung. One lung. They yep. can they can live a quite a while with one lung. And again, I'm referring to a bow. I Correct. guess it doesn't matter bow or it, it doesn't matter your method to take in this scenario. In this scenario, so. So what's better, the fact that you you did the good job of double lunging them and then. They go and lay down for 30 minutes and suffocate to death, or right. you shoot them in the neck, decapacitate them, and then shoot them again, maybe, and, and kill them quickly. So you you numb, you uh, spine hit them, you know, yeah. then they can't walk around. But then people are like, that's fucked up. It's like, is it? I mean, I don't know. I'm not I'm not getting either side here. Yeah, no, I mean, it's I, just, I you think... Know, there's a lot of questions I have for this. I, I think that... Um, well, I'll give you my opinion... And what I think in a minute, and that's again my opinion. Your opinion may differ, and it's going to differ from someone else who is only a rifle hunter and takes regular three hundred yard shots versus someone yeah. who is only a rifle hunter here in the south southeast and hunts thick woods. Yeah, I think they skill is definitely they don't hunt, another. You know, they rarely take a shot beyond two hundred yards, yeah. mostly be, not even beyond a hundred yards, and is shooting a uh, you know attack driver of a rifle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's going to differ for everybody, but so there's definitely different considerations between, uh, rifle and bow. I, I wrote down the wrong thing there, but rifle and bow, right? You have different things to consider in terms of how your method of take works, what you have to consider for your, your shot placement, all that kind of thing. But generally speaking, let's talk about some shot placement, what shot placement, placement, what shot placement ethics are. Um, and according to this thing, and, and, and I, I wrote it at the end here, but shot placement ethics are unchanging no matter the person, weapon, or situation. No matter the shot angle, you're aiming for the heart or lungs, period. There's no other shot placement to aim for. The angle can alter the aiming point, but that's the only to ensure the impact with, again, the heart or lungs. And like we were just talking about, I think this this is debatable. Yeah, I think there are people who are grown, who grow up and have a certain thought process, and I respect that. And if that's the code by which you hunt and it allows you to hunt and take animals in a way that you feel is ethical and is acceptable, then so be it. But I think it's really debatable that that the, the, these the, unchanging, no matter the person, weapon, or situation, um, I think those all have, those can all, like, yeah. because if I, if I take the same tuned and dialed in rifle and I, I take a shot at a deer 300 yards away, and, and I attempt a neck or a headshot, and then we take a a trained military law enforcement sniper 
to make that same shot. Yeah. I think the results, if you did like did it a hundred times each, the results are going to be vastly different for sure. Um, so it, it doesn't change, but that goes into ethics themselves. Like do ethics change or are ethics ethics? And so it's, <laughs> well, that's the problem with ethics is like we, even in culture, your culture can have different ethics. Most people adhere to the Ten Commandment sure. line of ethics, but the vast majority of the population on this planet is is Islam, and they do not adhere right. to the. They have different ethics. Sure. So does that mean that because they outnumber us, are their ethics yeah. better or or worse what, than ours? And sometimes, and I mean, we can probably find examples of in our day to day culture what's considered ethical now versus For sure. not ethical. Rolling through a stoplight in the middle of the night when no one's here. Yeah. This is South Carolina state law. You can if if you're there for thirty or sixty seconds at night. Yeah. No one's come through. You can you can blow through a stop sure. stoplight. But fifty nine seconds is that not ethical? Yeah, I don't know. It's you know, it's like yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, I think ethics, ethics are funny. To, they have to be how you feel, how you're ethically feel, and you shouldn't judge people on their ethics. I don't think. Well, but I think that's the. I think. But then again, you, you should. And I probably should. We maybe should have looked up the the definition of ethics. But I believe ethics has pull a, that up over there. Has a group. Your I, job. I believe ethics are grounded in a group sort of understanding or agreement that. A yeah, particular the thing or a way of doing something. Moral principles that govern a person's behavior or the conducting of an activity. Right. So, so it's moral principles. Yeah. So what's ethical? What's morality? Uh, yeah. Another question for another podcast. Uh, but so that's a shot placement ethics, right? Doesn't change. Yeah, it says ethics examines the rational justification for our moral judgments. There you go. So what is morally right or wrong? So for someone with a particular skill set, particular level of confidence, yeah, like Lariat, he knows he Lariat. can he can hit a, de- a deer's head at six hundred yards perfectly. He can t- without check, question check the wind and yeah. be good to go. I could probably try try that same shot, and I'm never going to make yeah. it. Not without some serious coaching and but help. Twenty yards away, I've done it several times. Right. So that's shot placement ethics. Now, shot yeah. opportunity ethics are a little bit different, and actually, where I think. Most of the debate can come in um, because we can debate all day. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Heart and lungs only or in- include the neck and head mm-hmm. if the situation, right? Like we can debate that all day. I think we both agree and most people would agree that for certain people in a particular set of skills, like we're, no one's going to take a neck or head shot with a bow, I don't think. It just seems. Compound or crossbow. But maybe I don't yeah. think crossbow really counts. Even well. even then, I think I think the number of people who are going to be willing to do that and would think that that isn't that is okay is going to be smaller than if it's a rifle, because a rifle. Well, I've seen it done with its, and it works with That's its penetration and ballistics. Right, you can be off on a headshot. Right, and it's still gonna, you yeah. know, it's still gonna it's still gonna blow a hole through the outside. Of it. Right. Um, I watched a gentleman neck spine shot and the and the deer fell immediately and then it was shot again in the heart and it okay. was it was dead in four minutes. Okay. So from an ethical perspective, though, or moral perspective, someone may take issue with it taking four minutes. But then the argument is, well, if you double lung him and he runs for 30 minutes, yeah, 
Is it any more or less? Is it better because it was an ethical shot right. in your mind? Air quotes. Yeah. Yeah, I um, quoted that. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's an interesting debate, and it really it you want to some fascinating conversation. It's entertaining. Is is some of these debates online? Man, there are some yeah. people that get fired up. All right. So shot play shot opportunity ethics are best described as the moment of which a shot opportunity is presented, and whether it's okay to take the shot or not. Some of these uh, these are these are the examples that were given. Not all um, you know. Not all of them are created equal. And just like we were talking about with the shot placement ethics, a rifle versus a bow versus a new hunter versus an experienced hunter, these are all going to change, right, how the situation impacts that that hunter's decision on whether or not it's it's okay to shoot. Mm-hmm. Generally considered unethical are running shots, head shots, Texas heart shots, straight down shots, stacked shots, skyline shots, or out of range shots. Out of range seems pretty simple. If you can yeah. it, you can't just don't it. fucking shoot. Yeah, it's not there. Some of these you don't have a shot. Well, well, I think some of these are considered unethical because of the safety issues that they right stack shots shooting at a deer when there's other deer in front or behind it. it just, well, then how else are you going to get a twofer? <laughs> <laughs> uh, skyline shots. So like if you're if you're we know somebody very well that shot a deer in the head and then it went through the head yeah. and hit the heart on a deer behind it. Yeah, and he, it was, he harvested two deer. One of the Luckiest, most fascinating stories. He didn't yeah. even know the second one was there. It was bedded. I thought he was full of shit, but <laughs> so uh, I believe him. Straight down shots. Um, Texas heart shot. If you're not familiar with what that is, is yeah, through that's, a deer's. I don't think hind end. That's a great shot. To yeah, take. It, just, it has a lot of. It's gonna be messy. A lot of margin for for error and um, yeah. running shots. I mean, that's that's debatable because you have guys that use dogs Very. and man and and and, and yeah. man to do dog drives. What do you think? Deer drive shot was invented for. Yeah. Um, so there's a reason, you know. Uh, but, yeah, so the, those are what are considered generally considered unethical. Generally ethical are your, your, your basic broadside and quartering away. And then gray shot areas in this article, um, they wrote as being straight on, quartering two, walking or bedded shots. Um, again, I think those all, you know, quartering two is a little bit more difficult, but it's, it's doable. Straight on. Quartering two with a rifle, I'm taking that shot. Yeah. Straight on with a rifle or bow, I'm probably taking that shot. Yeah. Because the, that chest in between the legs right there, That's it's it. like the size of a softball. I yeah. can hit that. Yeah. Um, That's where the heart is, is the point, right. for those that don't know. Bedded shots, I don't know. Like it's, I don't know that I would. It's, not, it's, not because it's I weird. have a problem with it. I just don't think I'd do it. It's, it's weird because I, I don't think that. Um, it doesn't seem like fair chase. It doesn't seem like fair chase. It also, one thing I've learned from studying and, and looking at whitetail stuff in the last year is that when they sit, move, duck their head, do other things, that has a big impact on how their organs are oh, presented yeah, to us sure. from a shot perspective. Uh, just having their head up versus head down. And actually, I meant to include this little diagram, and I'll put a link to it from Onyx Hunt. Um, they actually gave a it's kind of an anatomy shot placement sort of uh, chart, and it shows for if they're standing broadside, quartering away, quartering towards or front, and whether you're in like an elevated blind or you're in a blind or sitting on the ground eye level, what your sort of shot placement should be. Mm-hmm. So obviously anything from an elevated position, the shot is basically just a little bit higher, can, you know, given that the taking into account the angle. But these, like what they're showing here, for example, the broadside shot, when that deer's head is down versus up, you know, it change, yeah. it changes things in its body. If it's arm, if it's front leg, that it's the, the, the leg closest to you is stepping forward arm. versus back. It's shoulder, the way it's shoulder moves, yeah. you know, it provides a 
completely different yeah. challenge for, especially for for a broadhead. If you're a young hunter, um, or oh, yeah, you're, you're shooting something that's scapula. not that you don't have a lot of of, of power um, yeah. behind it. So there's there's different things that have to be considered, and I think that was really you know the the crux of this whole conversation and the debate that I was seeing online is that some people were very, very, very um, just stuck in their ways. Yeah. Never take a headshot. Never take a neck shot. It's, you know, the risk is too big. It's too small of a target. And it's like, well, maybe for you. Yeah. Right. It's the same thing. People say, well, that, that thing is just, it's overpriced. It's, 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 it's too expensive. Well, that, that person that made that does not owe you affordability. Right, yeah. Right, and it just just because it's because you can't afford it. Doesn't yeah, it may be. It, yeah, it may be out of your budget. Yeah, but you know, and so just because a particular skill set or particular shot is out of your ability to do so, you don't have to put that. Insecurity it's also on weird other they people. didn't they didn't uh, split these up between bow hunting and, and rifle hunting. Yeah, so the 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 articles that I read all sort of lumped them together. What I found fascinating was that the big the big name articles that dealt with these topics. Um, you know, from your big hunting magazines, you just just pick one. You know, every, every one of them had a historical article yeah. uh, about this. At some point, not one discussed head or neck shots. It's as if it doesn't exist, like it's off the table entirely. But if you really? get if you get, if you put your feet on the ground and you go to your local hunt, if you go to if you go to a processor, if you go to a check in station, you're gonna see head and neck shots. It's just something. That, it's just what people do. I mean, I'm not sure I, neck shots my favorite place, but a headshot. Because it's so small. If you miss, if you hit a head with a three hundred eight, yeah, it, I'm sorry, but it's dead. Well, but here's the thing, and, and like I I, sh- I hunt with a thirty out six because I can yeah. hunt a lot of different shit with it. Yeah, within a hundred yards, with that ballistic tip, if I hit a doe in the neck, yeah, they're for sure. they're dying ten out of ten times. Yeah, uh, different story with a bow, right? I might. I might not hit anything vital with a bow. Because yeah, I don't think that I would do a neck shot with a bow. No. I'm not comfortable enough as an arch. Uh, uh, to, I know to, I would do a headshot. I've never. You would do a headshot with a bow? No. Uh, I know I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Yeah, certainly. I don't think no. I would do either. I'm just not confident that I would. I'm I confident like that I can make shit. If it went yeah. through his nose or something and just. <laughs> yeah. No. That's the, I'm not interested in, in dealing with that. Um, I, I've. I have only not recovered an archery deer once. Same. And mine was a liver. And um, I felt terrible shot. about it. And I so did. I will, I, I'm never going to take you a shot. You remember how long we looked for it? We got lost. I know. It was a long time. And I would just rather not deal with that than um, chance, you know. I, I would just prefer to take a shot I'm comfortable with. And yeah. with, 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 with the archery equipment, it's just broadside or quartering away, quartering to, and then that vital area. With a rifle, though, that's different. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think archery, I agree with these guys, I think. And then rifle, I disagree. Right. But it just, again, it just comes down to your personal skills yeah. and your, your personal capability. And so this is one of those this is one of those situations where I'm reading through and I'm like, oh, I agree with that guy. Well, I can see where that guy's coming from. And it's like everybody had a, a, a viewpoint or a point to add that I could understand. But at the same time, it's that's... It's very individual to everybody, and it's going to differ depending on, like we said, an archery hunter or, or a rifle hunter. Um, and I think that's it speaks to a larger issue in the hunting community that I think we've talked about also, which is people. Like I, I understand if you disagree that, like I hear people say that crossbows should not be allowed as part of archery season. It's fine. It's an opinion. Take that up with with the people that make those regulations. 
don't shit on this guy because that's yeah. the way he chooses to get out and get meat for his family and enjoy being outdoors. I, the only thing I would say on crossbow is I don't think you can call yourself a bow hunter if you use crossbow. That's fair. And, I, I think that, but outside of yeah. but using a crossbow to kill a deer, I don't have a problem with that at all. Sure. Is I just it, don't think you're a bow hunter. It's 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 I think not you're it's not the same. Yeah, I I would say you could consider, call yourself an archery hunter because crossbow is yeah. archery. But uh, I guess it's I'll not give a you bow. That. I guess I'll give you it's, that. It's yeah, different, right? True. It's not. Um, a bow. So it's the 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 room is or that topic is is ripe for debate. But well, I think you and I both agree that at the end of the day, get out and hunt with what you can. The other thing, the guys we know that archer that that uh, crossbow hunt, yeah. A lot of them can't pull a bow back. Like they got shoulder surgeries and all that, and they're all messed up. And they they want to yeah. participate during bow season. Sure, and I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, and then that's that's at the end of the day, like I, you don't know people's limitations or why they're choosing that method of take. Right. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like I'm just happy to see another guy or another gal, another kid, especially that is getting outdoors, that's taking place or taking part in um, a tradition and a a culture, a lifestyle that is not as commonplace as it once was. For sure. Uh, that I, th- I think is important. You know, I'm, I'm listening to a, a book about, ra- you know, getting kids outdoors more in a, you know, an increasingly digital world. You know what I mean? And it's like people forget that it's not like, it's not us and then there's nature outside. Like, we are a part of nature. We choose to live in a way that segregates ourselves a little bit from it. But at the end of the day... We all come from and are going back to the same place. We are animals. And so... Um, and a lot of us are going to be in a lot of trouble when the world ends. <laughs> tell you, it's, and so it's, it's, it's wanting to raise kids um, that are aware of, of how they fit into the, you know, the bigger world. Well, did you watch The Ancient Apocalypse? Not yet, no. Okay, so Graham Hancock talks about... It's on Netflix if you guys are bored. It's really a show, but they basically discussed a, a, a civilization that existed before... Mm-hmm. Anyway... Um, but he was just, he was saying he's like if we're gonna see it again, so the hunter gatherers that live today in twenty twenty two, sure, those people that know how to live off the Amazon floor or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna go there with our technology when the world ends. We're gonna go to them, be like we're starving to death. I can't figure out what to eat because this, this is gonna kill me. Show me. And then since that, I'm gonna show you how to. Uh, you know, use a gun and and use a computer and use a an iPod. You know, right. or how to how to take these two things, these two plants that you aren't aware when you combine together, make yeah. make a thing that's going to increase your village's um, cleanliness yeah. and reduce. How do you soak in water? Yeah, you know, and then five thousand years later, <laughs> these stories of you coming to this town and doing this are they're going to be written down somewhere. They're going to have these this these god, god these gods these came. gods showed up. And and taught and it's like it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So my point of it was the um fuck are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about hunting and 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 being, you know, oh, uh, having kids outside. Yeah, yeah. So the point of it is like uh, it's important to teach to learn that stuff because it's if I can't I mean, how fast can I get to the Amazon? Not probably very fast. Probably not very fast. So no. like I'm probably gonna starve to death if the world ends. So it's it's good to it's good to be outdoors and, and look into that stuff and learn how to hunt, learn how to you know, look at mushrooms. Which mushrooms can you eat? And which ones are going to yeah. kill you? Just they, understanding the world around you. Exactly, and uh, that's probably the biggest thing that scares me about civilization. Kids today that just live inside on a computer. So yeah, what you're doing, correct? Yeah, getting them out there and learning and and trying to figure out what you know how to get kids outdoors. I, I'm 100 percent on board with that. It's um, 
I feel like it's my duty, you know, yeah. as a parent. But um, the the point that I was trying, you've already done initially, for those, but I but know. I always feel like I don't, you know, it, it's part, it is a part of being a parent. And if you're a parent and, you're, and you hear this, um, you'll I probably get, understand. I get you. Yeah, uh, those cats don't you have always, as many yarn balls. As you, you you always have this 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 voice in the back of your head that tells you you're not doing enough. Yeah, that you could do better. That there's more, and it's you know. It can haunt you if you're uh, if you let it. But I'd imagine not all parents have that voice. Well, probably not. Yeah, it's probably not. <laughs> uh, but the if point you don't. That's not normal. You should go get that looked at. <laughs> the 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 point being, instead of debating and giving, sh- if you want to if you want to debate the ethics of of shot placement, then by all means. But I think at the end of the day, it's it, it, it's all about what you're comfortable and capable of yeah. doing. Um, and more than that, we should be encouraging one another for making a successful kill yep and putting food on the table for your family and it doesn't matter where you shot it if it was ethical to him and he didn't break any laws and he did it within the within the regulations that that govern that state's uh, fish and wildlife um and it worked and it wasn't and it worked super messy <laughs> then then what's the problem yeah uh if, if you don't like it then then don't do it that way yeah so I mean it's 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 really simple. I just it, I found it kind of silly and off putting that there was this giant thread on Reddit and these people were bat, you know trashing this guy. Was there anyone that came in there and said kind Se- of what we're several saying? people were like, yeah. dude, just shut good up. for you, man. Yeah. Like you didn't have to run all over the woods chasing that thing. Yeah, you didn't damage any other meat. And if you're comfortable making that shot, and and the guy said several times, he's like, I I built this rifle, I've shot it more times than I can count, and yeah. I I make that shot a hundred out of a hundred times. Yeah, and so I have no problem taking the shot. If he, he's like, if you don't feel comfortable taking that shot, then don't. But don't come tell here and tell me yeah. I can't. People get I just because I just posted a video showing that I can. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was just it was just like I don't know. It's like I see I see so much of that in the hunting and the fishing community, and it's like I just wish more. Dude, I've people seen, would be more fucking supportive of. I've seen bow shots where I'm like, oof, I wouldn't have. Yeah, like you you missed see it you all missed time. by a lot, yeah. and then all the comments are like, "Fuck yeah, that's a huge rack, good job." I'm like, "Is is it a good job?" It looks like you hit him in the stomach. Which how long did it take you to find him? Yeah, you that's, know, I see that you shot him in daylight. Now it's dark outside. Are you are you faking that, or did it really take that long to find well, him? My, my favorite are the ones where they shoot at dusk. Yeah, right, and then the pictures are of the full body deer still the next morning, mm-hmm. and I'm like. The meat's still on that deer. I, yeah. I, I, you know, this is... this is. We did it with Rocco's deer, is, but I photoshopped it all, so you couldn't this tell. Is, this is October, so I know it's not Oh yeah, yeah. warm enough in some parts of the country. And there's other parts of the country where that deer recovered the next morning is probably still good, but we not in South Carolina. <laughs> no, you you're, you're, uh, you have to get it that night yeah. in South Carolina. And so I, I thought it would be gone. And so, well, good well and that's the other thing. You know, I, we're talking about shot pl- placement and, and ethics. If I can, if I can take a shot at a head or a neck and drop that deer right there and mm-hmm. get it out of here in thirty minutes, but you think that's unethical? But you would, you would rather me take a, uh, you'd rather me double lung it, maybe lose it for a few hours, yeah. and then have it slowly killed by by some coyotes that get a hold of it. Is like that, I heard, is that more ethical? I heard that happen when I was at Webb. Oh, really? Yeah, in the middle of the night because there's a gut pile. You could hear, and they're all like at the gut pile. Just, and all of a sudden, you just hear this howling, and it was it was at this area where a guy had shot a doe, and he never found it. Yeah, yeah. They didn't really look that long. I would look longer, but whatever. But um, 
then the woods just came alive. There was coyotes everywhere running past the tent, just like shipping. No because I guess that was what he what they had found this deer, and they're like, "Hey, I need help with this one." Put and the they all left card. their gun pile. No kidding. And went straight there. You could hear him running through the woods. Wow. But it's like kind of creepy. You know, he uh, shot him in the lungs though, so it's all good. Yeah, perfectly fine. Yeah. Sucks you didn't find him. Better luck next time. Yeah. Look a little harder. <laughs> yeah. What What are you gonna do? Um, so that was that's that was what I want to talk about today, mainly because I thought it was two reasons. Actually, I I saw that uh, white-tailed deer shot placement was trending on and uh, as a Google search option. Was it really a search term? And so I figured um, from a relevance perspective, folks might be wanting to hear about some of this. Do you think people get in the woods and are like, "Shit, I don't know where to shoot this thing"? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a deer. Fuck. What do I? Mm. I think that's probably why uh, most people rifle hunt because it's sure the margin of errors yeah. is you can shoot further and you can make a little bit more of a uh, right the traumas more. I should be a reformed bow hunter and go back to rifle. Yeah, just be like, yeah. This is I know. What I do now. I, I hear people like on podcasts and other uh, other folks that are big in the hunting community that just don't bow hunt that much, and they're like, I get it and I respect it, but I shoot a rifle because I. I want to be able to shoot further. I want to increase my chances yeah. of opportunity. And, you know, where I hunt in the back country or this state or that state, it's challenging enough. I'm I'm not interested in, in having to get in within 30 or 50 yards. I think about that guy that I went to Bear Island with. I think about him all the time. He has a short barrel, 308 AR, AR-10. Uh-huh. Uh, and he killed all three deer. You get two does and a buck. He killed two does and a buck in five seconds. Just, just pow, pow, pow. And then he was done. And I sat there all weekend, didn't kill shit. <laughs> you know, I think I saw deer. Yeah, yeah, uh, but nothing I could get close enough to. Yeah, that'd be but, fun uh, to build one just just for. Yeah, well, I was thinking about that five five six I have. I can. I mean, I'm pretty good at five five six. So if a if a gang of deer came running by, yeah, I forget who it is. I could probably drop a few. But they make a uh, they make a five five six round specifically for whitetail deer. Yeah, it's got an expandable tip. I'm on sure Hornady makes it. I think that's exactly who it is actually. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely doable. In fact, that's uh, after watching Gavin shoot an AR, you know, five chamber in five five six without any problems. I was like, I need to get him. It's a it's actually not in five five six. It's two two three. But yeah. if you have it chambered the right way, you can two use three both. wild. Yeah. So it's um definitely doable. You let your kid shoot an assault weapon. You're fucking right. I did. <laughs> it wasn't an assault weapon. I had to bleep that out. <laughs> <laughs> you better write that down. I'll hear it. Uh, oh, damn. 57 on the dot. Yeah. I almost made it a whole hour without fucking up. Yep. Oh, well. well we're here now. I'm just kidding. Should make it worse. Uh, All right. Well, for those that don't know, you can use code PODCAST at checkout to save 20%. You can also, if you want to leave a comment on this episode, let us know your thoughts. Are head and neck shots ethical? Maybe just leave a review and say that down there. Just say... uh Yes, shoot him in the face. That's the review. I want that's you a great. <laughs> that's a great review. So when we have guests that are interested in our podcast and they go look at our reviews, yeah. it's just a bunch of comments about shooting in the face. It's great. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, we can also, um, if you are not currently subscribed to our mailing list um, from our website, you're definitely missing out because we have exclusive deals and updates that we send out through there. So uh, you can join the other almost a thousand folks that are. Uh, getting emails and exclusive offers, shipping discounts, all kinds of other stuff. Uh, just when you go to our website, you get prompted to put in your email address and, subs- and kind of subscribe to our newsletter, and that's what uh, that's what you'll get with that. 
Yeah. And lastly, if you enjoy the stuff we do on this podcast, you can get more exclusive content and even help with show plans and production on our Patreon where you can join for as little as $5 a month. And uh, just so you know, that's less than uh, Starbucks. Um, and I, and I know uh, yeah. a lot of people that go and sit at Starbucks and get pissed off because the line was so long. You know, you could just not have Starbucks one day. Yeah. And then and you, you can hang, hang out with us. You can hang out with us on Patreon. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's it for the week. That's all I got. All I got. Until next time, folks. Hope everybody has a great day. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.